Think of the value of your company as a unique treasure, something rare and precious. Now, how do you get this treasure into the hands of those who need it most? You could bury it and hope that someone stumbles upon it, or you could create a delivery service meticulously designed to take this treasure and place it into the welcoming hands of your potential customer. Like a flawless delivery system, content marketing serves as the vehicle that transports the value of your company directly to an informed and receptive audience, turning curiosity into engagement, prospects into clients. In the context of B2B SaaS, this idea of a personalized delivery service becomes even more crucial. The goal is not to merely ship a product, but to translate the unique aspects that make your services resonate with specific businesses. By crafting a content strategy that serves as this tailor-made delivery service, you're not just pushing out information, you're sending carefully wrapped parcels of value, each one addressed to the particular needs of your clients. Leading this artful approach is our guest, Jose Cayaso, who goes by Kaya. He's the CEO at Slidebean and has steered its YouTube channel to over 350,000 subscribers. Kaya has managed to turn the delivery of content into an orchestrated, thoughtful system. Under his guidance, content marketing is not a broad-spectrum broadcast, but a targeted dispatch. He knows what each recipient needs, ensuring the value of your company arrives at the right doorstep at the right time. With Kaya's strategy, your content becomes a reliable delivery service for the worth of your company, creating an informed and engaged customer base. Join us today as we delve into the world of Kaya, a mastermind who has transformed content marketing into a precise and empathetic delivery service. We'll explore how to create content that resonates, how to target the right audiences, and how to ensure that your message is eagerly received. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from the CEO of Slidebean himself and discover how to turn your content strategy into a route map to success. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. I'm Ben Hillman, and on today's episode, Kaya speaks with Paddle's Katie Hammond about leveraging content marketing for startup growth and success. They talk about passion for content creation over monetization, welcoming and supporting the startup community, challenges and lessons from failed content series, content strategy differences with YouTube and TikTok, and the importance of honest feedback in idea validation. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for a field guide from today's episode. Then, while you're leaving your five-star review of this podcast, tell us what resonated most about our guest's advice. My name's Katie Hammond with Paddle, and I am here with Kaya, CEO of Slidebean. So excited to get to talk to you today. So we're going to be focusing on leveraging content marketing for startup growth and success. Slidebean obviously has so much success with content marketing, so we're just going to learn everything that we can from you. I'm going to glean everything out that we can. So let's get started. So to kick us off, can you tell us what's your name, company, and what do you guys do? I'm the CEO of a company called Slidebean. Most people don't know us because of the product that we build. Most people happen to know is because we stumbled upon a YouTube channel that really started growing. We started doing content really as marketing thing, as a marketing thing. But then creating content, especially on YouTube, ended up being so fun that we now sort of do that more than the average SaaS company would. Awesome. And they do a really good job of it too. So can you tell us about that journey? So tell us about from conceptualizing the idea of Slidebean to where it stands now. Tell us a little bit about how your role has evolved throughout that period. I think the role of the CEO needs to sort of change with the times really quickly. Like I considered myself a sort of product or, or a CEO that liked product. I you know, need some, some UI design. I wanted to get involved with the product and design and how it looked and how it worked. 
But soon enough, we, I found myself in this situation with two other co-founders who were also product people, where having a third opinion in most conversations was just creating extra work in agreeing, extra work in voting, problem number one. And then problem number two was nobody was really in charge of marketing, right? I have this thesis that the founding team of a company needs to have all the skill set or the capacities or the competencies to get that company to 100K in revenue without hiring anybody else. If you have a team that has a designer and a marketer, but no, no one to build the product, it's not a great team. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we had the marketing aspect when we started, but nobody was really planning to own marketing. So I'm like, well, somebody's got to do this. So fine, I'll just do that. Uh, and I started learning how Facebook ads work. Like that's, that's how it's started. Awesome. He's like, fine, I'll just do it better than anyone else. So obviously building a successful startup, there's a lot of people here and listening who are building startups. And that involves navigating numerous different challenges. And now when people are looking for funding, that's even more challenging now than it was um, previously. So can you share some of the biggest challenges you faced as a founder while growing Slidebean and how you overcame them? So, I mean, with funding, I think that that's a hassle. Like, I sort of come from this school of, not not a school, like this misconception of if you have an idea, if you have a team, you can mm -hmm. get it funded because you read about this a lot. Right? You, you, we read about, oh, like, I remember, I remember uh, we started Slidebean so long ago that the news of the day back then was that this company called Yo, I don't know if you remember that or you're too young. Yo, which was the app that you could use to just sell, send someone a message that said Yo. Not not a, like a text message, but just Yo. Oh, I remember that now. That was fun. We had that in college. We were raising money when we were uh -huh. uh, when, when this came out. <laughs> Yo raised like a million dollars just because it did this Yo thing. And we're like, if Yo raised money, we have this really cool product presentation builder. It's going to be easy for us to raise money. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that that's a big struggle that or a big wall that early stage founders have to overcome, mm -hmm. which is that raising money is actually really hard. And the reason why Yo raised, raised money is probably because their founders were really well connected with investors in the in the Bay Area or wherever Yo was from, I don't even know, or because they had a successful startup first and they had built some credibility. But for average non-serial entrepreneurs first company, it is really hard and you probably need a product and you probably need some revenue to do that. So understanding that and honestly stop wasting time trying to raise money before you accomplish those things was Youthfully. I mean, the money you can raise before you have revenue as a first-time founder is friends of ours. That's all you have. But we spent so many hours, so many months, so many trips trying to raise money from other investors before we had solved our own thing, which was, hey, just build a product that makes it a little better. So the content on Slidebean's YouTube has just gotten better and better over the past five years. And now you're really creating the best video essays for startups. So when you think back to those early days when you were, you know, like, okay, I got to handle the marketing. I've got to get in here and figure out Google ads. What kept you going when you may not have seen the views or the comments to encourage you? At first disclaimer I'll give is we only really started making YouTube content once we had figured out paid content and a consistent, direct way to acquire customers. One that we could control, one where, you know, we spend 10K on this channel, we get 30K in revenue. Once you have that engine going, you can start doing a lot of other things, right? And that comes first. And, you, and YouTube's probably not going to be that engine because it's too unpredictable. The learning curve is too high. And there's a very good chance that people, sounds ugly, but there's a very good chance that people won't like your content, mm -hmm. uh, that you won't figure it out. Like it'll take a long time to figure it out. The only reason we were able to figure it out eventually, it took us, if you go to the very, very nasty history of our YouTube channel, into like very, very early videos that maybe we've already hidden, maybe not, uh, you'll see some really shitty content, really, really bad content, like trying to copy Scott Galloway for a while, 
we came up with a sitcom that was kind of be like was like like the office but like in a startup office it was like an like a scripted sitcom we would yeah. we did a bunch of uh, things that didn't work out and, and the reason why we kept going was because it was a fun it was it was fun for us we really enjoyed it and it was a very cheap experiment for us we by coincidence we had some people from that have background in filmmaking on the team who were working on the customer success team but they were willing to sort of car ride some of their time to do this thing that they were really passionate about you know three years in when by any other standard we should have stopped making youtube content because it was an experiment that didn't work out three years in we finally found a format gotcha gotcha so what would you say to start with for the founders sitting here i'd say that to avoid the- our mistakes you know first understand who this content is for like who's going to consume it don't fall into the trap of making content that's too broad okay Make content that's very useful for one like you have all these like coding channels that just teach a very specific branch or sub branch of python and those channels have a big audience and they're able to sell you know if that's the objective in the end selling they're able to sell because they've captured this niche audience with with very competent content for them mm-hmm. so i'd say that's that's one i think the other option is you can eventually play off the YouTube algorithm. Like the YouTube, the YouTube algorithm will eventually uh, reward you and put your videos in front of people. But a good or more less, less risky way to start is just to target search. So find, and th- this is what eventually worked for us or the first big breakthrough we had was like, let's find searches that our audience is probably typing into YouTube. Let's find if those searches have decent answers or decent videos that answer that question. And if not, and if we can make a better video than what's already out there, let's do it. So many of the searches that we targeted for founding, starting a business, pitch decks, and the likes had TED videos as an answer. Like, we're not going to compete with a TED video. So mm-hmm. not that. Let's find another one. So, you know, we'd spent, you know, a couple of days researching a search that had the number, the right number of searches, attainable, where we could let, bring in our expertise and make the video. And now you've been a TED speaker. <laughs> TEDx, TEDx. TEDx. I, got a, I saw a TikTok the other day about this. It's like, like, oh, you're a TED speaker. No, not really. Like, TEDx is not as prestigious. I don't know. I think it's still pretty cool. What do y'all think? So earlier this year, you posted on LinkedIn. And I'm yelling at you on the microphone again. Earlier this year, you posted on LinkedIn about making it your mission to find new free ways to help founders, which I totally love this. So what is the least discussed area? that you've found that has the most impact on companies? I think that one undiscussed topic is failure because there is this common and well-justified approach of, uh, hey, like, don't give up, keep trying, like, reinvent yourself, blah, blah, blah. And nobody talks too much about, like, when do you give up on something and how to process that. Um, Like, so I'm Costa Rican. The, yeah, I had the disadvantage of, like, the the first company I started, which was not Slifey, they funded a Kickstarter campaign and it got a lot of attention and everybody had a big expectation about what that company was going to be. When we eventually ran out of money, we're like, no, like, we have to keep going. So I made the very bad decision of putting a lot of company expenses on my credit cards, which ended ended me with a lot of credit card debt. And then when my credit cards would stop, literally, like, they would stop going to the back because they were maxed out. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe we have to close the business now. But I had no choice. I wish somebody had told me that I had the choice of saying, hey, let the business isn't yeah. working. Let's stop. Failure is not only like closing the business and, and giving up and and not doing it again, but failure is also accepting that you need to pivot. Uh, yeah. In our case with Slightbean, we're talking about this before, which was, you know, I mean, we, we got really good at marketing. Mm-hmm. Our product for a long time didn't really live up to what the marketing was. And we sort of needed to accept that and give up or accept that we were weren't as good and pivot now. But you know, if, if you only have the mentality of not giving up, then you're never going to be able to go through those decisions in peace. I think that's really wise and that's good advice. It's just hard to know at what point to keep going and at what point do you decide, okay, maybe it's time to throw in the towel. I like the this idea of, of uh, like deadlines, for example, like extend that to other aspects of your life, but you're going to try this. You're going to try to be an actor or 
you're going to try to make your SaaS company. You put a deadline on it. You'll put that deadline of December 31st. If you do everything you can, you you bring to it during that time uh, and it doesn't work, the giving up part is less painful because you know that for that time, you gave it everything you put. It helps in it. What encouragement would you give to founders if they are thinking, okay, I have to give up or if they just gave up? That's not bad at all. Like I, I think that Again, as an early stage founder, you don't necessarily see failure as a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think that in hindsight or like future investors or future people you talk to, like having two failed startups under your belt is more valuable than having no startups under your belt. Mm -hmm. Much more valuable. Absolutely. I agree with that. That's good. Good advice. Okay. So at Slidebean, you've created everything at Slidebean isn't just Slidebean. You've done a really good job with creating different series, which is driven you a lot of traffic. So you've created successful series like Company Forensics and Startups 101, which helped countless founders learn about the tech world. So where did the idea come from to go down the route of creating specific series with their own sub-brands instead of making Slidebean branded blog videos? We did this series thing, but we don't really respect it as well. And the fact that the question like knows which series we've made, it makes me appreciate this more than, uh, than, I, than I expected. But as I told you, like search was the first thing that we targeted. It, right so we wanted to make videos that target the, targeted those searches mm-hmm. once that worked once we got that engine running two things happened one we felt that we understood youtube we felt that we understood how to make a video how to publish it how to promote it how it would perform so we, we felt more confident about youtube as a channel and two we got greedier or, or we started to believe ourselves as creators. i don't want to say influencers as creators in the sense that hey like if we made this video that's so, of such a niche topic can we make a video that more people watch? We understood the pitch deck video or like the how does a stock option pull for early stage companies? Like, well, that video will get 10,000 views, but not that many people need that info, right? So we figured, well, can we make a video that more people watch? We did. And that's that's how this company forensic series started, which is the sub brand that most people know, which were these like teardowns of why a startup failed. And some of them pretty good, like, because some of them, there was some schadenfreude here on like Juicero failing because it was just like this overpriced juicer. Boosted was one of our most popular videos then. Got me in trouble with the Y Combinator people. You got, you have one on Yo. We did one on Yo. Okay, I and missed that so one. Well. I'm going to have to go watch that one after this. So I missed it. You're going to see a really bad, and I, I think that this is a fun aspect of it. Like anytime you do content on YouTube, you go back one year mm-hmm. and you'll see how bad the content was and you'll mm-hmm. be ashamed of it so yo was probably three years old my hair was short i wasn't really good at speaking on camera you could tell that i was really from reading from a teleprompter not a lot of animation not our best video but it's still there well i think anyone can relate to that they just look at their social media year back and they're like oh yikes your series like company forensics and startups 101 provide really in-depth analysis and valuable insights. So can you walk us through what's your process for choosing topics? So you talked about this a little bit, like you were thinking, how can we get more broad, more of an audience? What's your process for choosing topics and how do you make sure that remains relevant to your audience? That's a big issue. And I don't think that we're the best at picking topics yet because we've gone through this transition in our our content where we made all this really deep dive content into startup technicalities, startups startups one-on-one which work great to sell and you know, people who watch that and trust your expertise, they will continue to watch it and they will like, they're more likely to convert because you've proven that you're an expert in this very specific thing. But again, that's niche. So we wanted to be broader. So that transition, I don't think we did, we were great at it in a sense that we've probably gone too broad sometimes with content that didn't really resonate with the audience. Right. So our, uh, we did our video last week was on how on the industry of replacing children with pets, which is, a, I think it's an interesting topic. It's like, uh, you know, yeah, it is people, people no longer have kids. They have mm-hmm. pets instead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
revenue from pet related products have, has tripled the multi-billion dollar industry man but that's not it doesn't have to do with tech it doesn't have to do with startups that much it's an interesting topic but it's not for our audience so you have to learn and sort of discern that into you know, what will they actually care about if you do that it'll, it'll screw up the algorithm so you have to be careful that's good so how do you measure the success for the content in starters you'd call this a vanity metric views i think that views are relevant. I think subscribers are less relevant. My talk yesterday was just on kind of like, how do we translate the success of your content to revenue? Or you know, if you're sponsoring content to someone else's channel, like, can you really track the revenue that came from that channel? Is, is that possible? And my conclusion after thinking about it for a while was that to me, like if, if, you, if you draw a pie chart as to like, what, how much of your money, how much of your budget, how much of your brain power should go to brand awareness versus conversions, right? Direct response marketing, how do you split that? I think that as an early stage company, your focus should be 80% direct response, getting customers that you can track, that you can, where you can have that conversion happen quickly. And then you can spend a little bit of time, that other 20%, toying around with some things for brand awareness. Yeah. Maybe that's sponsoring some content. Maybe that's having some TikTok channel. Maybe that's, you know, posting stuff on social media. It won't directly draft conversions. If it does, then it's a direct response campaign. But it has value. You can't track it. You can't know, but it has value. So at what point in that do you kind of make the switch? Yeah. So at the early stage, you know, we were spending, what, 20, 30K a month on marketing, right? So in that world, we can get away with spending maybe 4K in brand awareness and stuff that we can't track. Is 4K enough to run a YouTube channel? No. So don't. But when you're spending 100K, in direct response. Well, then you can get out, then you have, then your brand awareness budget could be 10K, could be 20K. And in that case, you, you're able to fit this, right? So to me, if you're sponsoring somebody else's YouTube channel or you're sponsoring a creator or you're sponsoring content, that is mostly gonna be brand awareness. You can track conversions from it and you should, you should do your best to track conversions from that content. But the biggest value of that awareness of that content is in its brand awareness. So try to track it. I had a quote, aim for conversions and settle for brand awareness. Aim for conversions and settle for brand awareness. I like that quote. My next question was actually going to be how do you track the conversions deeper into the funnel? And you really just answered that. <laughs> oh, just an add on to that. We tried our best. Like when we first, when we had our first YouTube breakthrough, we started to see a lot of people that would say, hey, I watched your YouTube video on pitch text and that's why I converted. Great. Direct conversion. But once you have a hundred videos, it's impossible to know which video actually brought that conversion. And really, in today's marketing day and age, chances are people are going to be touched by so many different points of your marketing that it's impossible to say which one actually drove the conversion. What we do instead is we ask them, we, we still ask them, we try UTM tags and I mean, they kind of work. We use the metrics and kind of works. The ultimate answer is asking people like, how did you know about us? How did you discover us? But one thing that we do from the media side in our, the way we structure the organization, like the media team needs to justify its cost and its value mm -hmm. to the rest of the team. We ask customers, like, do you know, did you know we have a YouTube channel? And about 70% of our customers do. Maybe it wasn't the channel that drove the conversion, but it was a touch point in that. And that's the way we justify it. So obviously you interact with numerous founders all of the time. So what are some of the common concerns that you're hearing and how do you incorporate that feedback into Lightbeam and your services. I think that the biggest lesson, like we've been around, I like saying it and then I hate saying it, but so we've been around for about 10 years now. It's too long for a starter to, to exist, 10 years. I, I think that what we've learned through this time is the, the original premise of Slidebean was like, People suck at design. People suck at designing presentations, and that's why they need this product. What we've learned, pivoted, or learned that we were wrong, was it's not so much about the design. It's about kind of capturing the story. 
yeah. like summarizing what you have in your head as a founder into a story. I think that that's the hardest part. It's a part that up until recently, I think needed like a human storyteller to solve. And it's a part that today, I think we're really, really close to AI salt for us. That's exciting. Hint at some stuff that we're working on. Ooh, very exciting. Everybody catch that? Love it. We, we're definitely going to talk about AI at some point in this podcast, right? It's 2023. So obviously you guys have done a really good job helping founders with pitch deck creation, financial modeling, and providing resources for capital raising. What are some of the other areas you think startups need help with that you might be considering? You know, you just talked a little bit more about the AI. But what are some of the other areas that you think they might need help with as they're getting started looking for funding that maybe aren't being addressed today? I um, think my coming of not coming of age, my coming of founder or coming of a uh, tech person story is that I'm a foreigner. I'm Costa Rican. The first time I set foot in the U.S. was I was like 21. First time I was in New York, I was 23. And the first, this is a shameful story, but a, a true story. My first company was this mobile game that we put on Kickstarter. And this guy, Josh Constant, called, finds, finds it, calls me up on the phone. And he's like, hey, like, I discovered your game. I thought, you know, I thought it was really cool. I, I published an article about it. If you go, go check it out. And he's like, oh, cool. Where did you publish it? Oh, in TechCrunch. I'm like, oh, can you spell that for me? I had never heard of TechCrunch in my life at this point. And the guy just called me up. So I was I was a complete foreigner to the starter world. I didn't understand anything. I think that one of the reasons why people have enjoyed the content is because I've sort of made up work to bridge that gap. Like if you were born in probably Austin now, but if you're born in, in the Bay Area or in New York, you understand about this. You have connections. You know, you know who to talk to. You know this language. Probably exaggerated for me, coming from outside the U.S., you don't understand any of this stuff. And, and I think that maybe if you're not from one of those major startup hubs, you probably don't. Like for me, one of the very first experiences of how does startups and venture capital work, it was the social network, like the film. Mm -hmm. Before that, I didn't understand like how tech would work. I think that that's some that's one thing that I'm really passionate about, sort of like helping sort of bridge that gap for outsiders. I think for example, accelerators, which I, I've been part of far more accelerators than I'm proud to say. But the reason why I still see value in those experiences and that equity that I had to give out was that I needed a crash course. Like I need like this bridge to come from not knowing anybody in the ecosystem from not understanding anything of how it worked, from not speaking the language to being able to sit in this stage with you. I think that that's, that's, that's a bridge that we, I don't think that I can monetize, honestly, other than the ads that run before you watch a video on YouTube, but that I think I'm, that I'm passionate about. Yeah, I love that passion. What can we all do to better help that? Everyone in the SaaS community, how can we be better, more welcoming maybe? I generally think that startup communities are welcome. I've always felt really welcome any in any community I was like, I, Nobody's ever treated me as a as a stupid because I didn't understand what what Tam was or or whatnot. Like I think that that's that's valuable. I think the honestly, you know, stuff that you can do every day. Like one of the biggest issues that early stage founders struggle with is just validating their ideas. Like, is this idea good? Will people pay for it? And often, more often than not, when you're pitching someone an idea, a friend, they'll say, "Oh, that sounds really cool." When it doesn't, there's this good, really good Reddit thread the other day. Not the other day, really, of a couple couple years ago. You can find it. It's like it was something like an like an ask Reddit of engineers of Reddit. What do you how how did you say no to your friend with the next big startup idea? Yeah, right. Because engineers get pitched about this all the time, and it, it, I think it was a really good thread on like how we as maybe non tech founders kind of like come up with these ideas and imagine that they're going to be huge. And nobody's stopping on that. Nobody's saying, hey, look, maybe this is not a bad idea. And maybe this is not a good idea. So I think that honesty is valuable. I think that's one thing that uh, we all can do to, to help our fellow founders I like not that. waste too much time in what they're doing. 
I like that. I saw something once that said, if your friend founds a product, buy it and then churn if it's not any good. I was like, exactly. That actually, that's pretty helpful. That's me, a good friend, you know? So I like that. So another question on the content. Uh, so there's a series on your channel that it looks like you guys aren't making videos on anymore called Five Minute Tech Views. So I'm just curious, what have you learned maybe from series that didn't work out or from something that you've retired that you can pass on to founders? Uh, that's a good question. That's a series we did maybe three years ago, pre-COVID, it was way before. It was just like a daily, like a weekly sort of crunch of the startup news. The reason why it didn't work on YouTube is because it wasn't evergreen. Mm. I think you, and, and then the, the, the real value of YouTube content is if you produce something that's evergreen, something that it's gonna be valuable and useful and people will continue to watch it two, three, four, or five years down the line. We have videos that, I mean, our, most of our one-on-one videos still get thousands of views mm-hmm. because they're still useful and nobody's taking the time Nobody, I mean, nobody, yeah, nobody's taking time to make a better video, like to outrank our own video. You know, if you do evergreen content, I think that you're, you're standing to win. I think that also with TikTok now, like, I think the value with, with YouTube as, as a platform is that if you figure it out, you immediately have a really big moat around it because for somebody else to catch up with your content on YouTube, they need to spend the time, they need to spend the money and the production. There's, there's a certain level of production value that people expect. There's a certain level of quality of content that people expect. And if you're new, you're it's going to take time to catch up. So if, even a company with all the resources, they want to do it, it'll still take them time because they still need yeah. to figure out who the host is going to be in, in, in the format and so on. The difference with TikTok, right? There's no moat on TikTok. Anybody can get on TikTok. And I think anybody, uh, you know, as a company, you should try TikTok as a format. Absolutely. Like that's essentially what, where, we're, where we're going at. The, the fact that it's evergreen, the fact that it's protected by this moat makes for uh, an expensive but really monetizable bet long term. Well, Kaya, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Where can everybody find you? I always struggle what to say here. You should look into our channel. Like, if you remember something, you should check out uh, our Slight Bean YouTube channel. That's we have some really cool stories there. I guess if you want to find me, you should find me on Twitter. I'm Kaya here on Twitter. Awesome. Well, really enjoyed talking to you, and love your passion, and totally love what you said as well about making things more welcoming and open. And I love that. So thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Katie. Thanks. Thanks everyone in the audience. Thank you, everyone. Shout out to Kaya for being on the show. Now you have a better understanding of leveraging content marketing for startup growth and success. Today, we talked about passion for content creation over monetization, welcoming and supporting the startup community, challenges and lessons from failed content series, content strategy differences with YouTube and TikTok, and the importance of honest feedback and idea validation. Make sure to give Protect the Hustle a five-star review and tell us what lesson from today's episode was your favorite. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS. 